Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. I'm here with David Alexander from Nature Into Action. And David, I've seen your Instagram for probably about six months now. And you have just amazing pictures of the Adirondacks, I believe most of the, many of the pictures are of these incredibly beautiful lakes and seemingly a pristine campsite that's just like idyllic. And when I saw that, I just immediately thought, I'd, I really want to talk to you about what you do because those places that you go and places that I know you you travel to or you bring people to, to me, that seems like a really magical thing and a really special thing to be able to do that and provide that for people. I'm just really thankful that you're here to be able to share some of your perspective and find out where you're from and what you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being on here. I love the podcast. I've been listening to all of them and really enjoy what you have to say around nature. Oh, um, thanks. As, as far as those trips go, there's endless adventure out there. And I'm from North Northern Jersey, Northern New oh, really? Jersey. So actually a lot of those Adirondack trips I have to plan. And I think that goes to my advantage because I'm going up there, not just for the day, but for multiple days at a time. So I enjoy that whole process of planning ahead and deciding where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And Maybe it's a fish I hope to catch, or maybe there's a secondary goal of a, a mushroom or a plant I might find along the way. But if, if everything goes well, I'm going to put it all together and make a delicious feast out there in, in the Adirondack wilderness. Yeah. Uh, I remember early on, I posted a trip report and somebody commented, they're like, oh, that's a trip of a lifetime. And sure. I was, was thinking, okay, I'm going to plan another one in a week. <laughs> so, <you> know, it <laughs> yeah, does, exactly. doesn't have to be. You work hard and play hard and string your days off so you can get out there and do what you want to do. A lot of people, they, in, in today's world, a lot of people are like working at a job and they're like fighting traffic to get there. You're If you're from Northern Jersey, all you have to do is drive th- probably 30 minutes east and you'll, yeah. you'll figure it out pretty fast. But it's this idea of, you know, how we live this life that's disconnected. And then it just seems almost like a dream to be on that still lake and maybe hear a loon in the distance and just yeah. having that deep sense of peace when we oh, yes. fight the fight traffic and figure out our lives. And uh, so that I, I really think it is a trip of a lifetime, even yeah. it's uh, maybe just up, up the road, really. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's four or five hour drive. But the moment I step out of my car, I'm already relaxed and, and the seasons keep changing. So the adventures keep changing. I always, you know, I, I remember reading a, a quote about how to see something new, take the walk you took yesterday. Every trip's got variation to it. And it was just a few weeks ago for brook trout fishing for the end of the brook trout season to try to catch some heritage strain brook trout, the brook trout that survived through the, since the last uh, ice age. And you got to travel to some remote ponds to catch them. And that's part of the adventure. And and then more recently, I went up to try to do some deer hunting on a buck hunt. They open up buck season. So that's a whole different hunt, different experience where you set up a hot tent or find a lean-to and camp out of a lean-to. Um, and soon now we're starting to plan for ice fishing. So that's uh, right. Every, every, yeah. Different goals. And then we just keep pushing the goalposts back and trying to do more and make them bigger and use all those fun skills that you learn at forest school or the tracker school. I, I did go to the tracker school for, for two courses. 
Nice. Uh, basic and advanced. And those skills are fun, but my favorite is when I actually use them in the wilderness or when they simply give me confidence to go further into the wilderness. Even if I don't use them, I know that I have them. I, if I need to, I'm comfortable. Yeah, that's nice to do. A lot of people, times people will say to me like, oh, Ricardo, I really want to have a garden, but I don't know what to do. And I was like, just start digging and planting some seeds. It's not too hard. And they're like, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know the, I don't know what I would do. Maybe I would do it wrong. And I, I sometimes people need that extra little bit to just have somebody show them and just build that confidence. Yeah. Slowly. And yeah. So and accept that you can be scared and still do something. Yeah. Um, you know, you, we talk a lot about far, far school where there's so many different skills, lessons you might, you might facilitate. And sometimes you, you got to put yourself into a, situation where you might not be fully comfortable but you give it a shot and you a lot of classes sometimes my you know I, I teach a lot of environmental education every day and part of my one of my favorite things about it is that I get to repeat a lot of classes so you get to improve upon them each time you, you debrief you know even part of my trip planning I make a whole trip report before I go but I do always write a few notes afterwards and debrief and that's the same with facilitating programs there's something really true about doing a program and then repeating that lesson over and over again with lots of different types of children, lots of different schools or whatever. I found that my learning curve really took off when I would just go out and try to do something, especially if you don't have a lot of time, you just put it together and you go, here's what we're going to try. And the more I would see week after week, oh, okay. Something I did with one group might not really seem to capture their fancy oh. as in, in as big of a way as I'd hoped. And then another group would do the same exact thing. And they're just like having a transcendental experience. Yeah. And then other times I go, all right, this with this one school, I'm going to try something different. And it's just, it's fascinating how different kids are, how different they are. If something happened earlier in the day, or you just, we're just like appearing in their lives at this sort of slice and you do the best you can. <laughs> and sometimes you can't really, you can't hit, you just hope that you plant as many seeds from a garden point of view, like plant as many as we can and hope that some of them sprout along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I do. When I do my wilderness skills camps, I'll just put, bring all of my activities into the room and I have a game plan, but you can always change things up, meet their learning styles, their interests, or the weather, whatever it might be. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, tomorrow, I have a homeschool group coming in tomorrow. We're doing making mushroom paper. We're going to go out, identify the turkey tail mushrooms and the false right. turkey tails, collect them, put them in a blender, make pulp and make paper. Uh, so they're doing arts and crafts, but they're learning mushroom anatomy, mushroom ID, mushroom foraging, right? Uh, ethical harvest. Uh, and then yeah. the second part, we're doing a fire skills class, going through some flint and steel and, and feral rods and we're going to epoxy in a feral rod into a deer into a piece of deer antler uh, oh neat. neat just keep yeah keep them at, active where they're working and i always think about there's a maria montessori quote montessori education it's a, a sign of a good teacher is the students are working as if you don't exist so try <laughs> exactly. to, yeah try to set That's them awesome. up where they're enjoying themselves having fun and sometimes they leave and they don't even realize they they learned something they just thought they were having fun but there's always a big outcome yeah, that's true. That's so true. But yeah, so you're working with homeschoolers. What ages are you working with? About eight to 12, but I see all different ages. We've got some different series. I, so I work as a senior naturalist program director at an environmental center, a county environmental center. 
So okay. the, the programs vary every day, every season. You know, today I taught Passaic River Studies to chemical analysis, macroinvertebrate analysis of the river to a middle school group. And then I had a Girl Scout group come in to talk about silver award projects. Uh, there's always different programs going on. And that's something I think sometimes people want to delve directly into forest school, but I think it's good to have more of a broad approach at times and be mm-hmm. more willing to have a wider spread on what you're willing to do. Sometimes I think some forest educators are, it's like that, that Mrs. Doubtfire scene where they don't do this, they don't do that. But you got to be open to teaching multiple grade levels and multiple themes within a subject or across subject areas. And, yes. and you're going to be far more marketable and you're going to build your audience far and wide. And, yeah. and when you have that consistency too, over time, it gets to the point where you work so hard to build up your program. And then you're like hoping you don't have emails when you get to your desk. Exactly. Exactly. You know, what's it's, it's so true is that if you can get like a base knowledge, like if you have a base of experiences out in nature and you've got certain skills you really know, and some of the trees, like it's not that you have to know all the trees or every wild food, but oh, yeah. But if you know how to go through a field guide or whatever, if you can just get that base, then from there, everything else is a lot easier. Whereas if you just have one sheet of paper or curriculum or a binder and you have to flip through it to try to remember, okay, what are we doing? That's a tough way to do it when the pressure of those kids are there and you're not quite feeling natural with it. It's just, okay, pretty stressful. So I'm a hundred percent with you on that. And ages are different. Some people will say, oh, I I love working with middle middle schoolers or high school students. And other people will say, oh, I I don't want to work with them. I love the little kids. And the reverse is true. Like I mostly have worked with like the ages you're talking about, the eight to maybe eight to 16 and then college age. And I know that I've done programs where all of a sudden we were with like a bunch of six and five-year-olds and four-year-olds and I had some staff with me and they freaked out. They're sitting in the car and and we see all these people showing up and the kids are getting out and they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? We have all these skills and we've got these really young kids who are, they just freaked out. And I had to, I don't know, just talk them off the ledge a little bit and go, it's going to be fine. We're going to tell a lot of stories. We're going to have fun, whatever. And we got through it, but it, it is, each of those populations is different, right? Like, Oh, completely. Yeah. I hear what you're saying there. Part of what makes it fine is when you're truly passionate about mm-hmm. who you are and what you're doing, the kids are, kids notice that very clearly. They can see who's authentic and they gravitate to that. Yeah. Uh, and the more you, you can be, you know, yeah, uh, the better you're going to be as an educator. Yeah, that's true. It's nice to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, when you start teaching, sometimes you, it's like when you're a student teacher and you teach how your teacher teaches, but mm-hmm. it takes some time to develop uh, into who you are as a, as an educator and to find those skills that you're, you're most excited to share. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's all part of the growing experience. It's, it's a, it's it can be a slow development to to be that master educator that you want to be yeah Yeah, you get to the point where you just have confidence you can walk in the woods with without anything and know that you can run an entire day's camp just just by a couple plants you can recognize or you've got a pond you can catch some frogs in or maybe you have some fishing line and hooks or maybe bring out some flour and make some stick bread that doesn't take yeah you just keep building up those experiences yeah, it's really interesting how diverse 
Like I, 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 cause I studied with Tom Brown on and off for about 10 years working at, I worked at his school for a while and just took a lot of classes, helped him out with a lot of classes. And then on my own, I was either doing summer camps or environmental ed programs, or I'd be just out practicing. And it, it, there's just a lot of times where I would be out somewhere and whatever lesson plan I had planned was just not going to, it was going to go right out the window. And you really do have to think on your feet. It, it almost is like a case of survival of, okay, what am I going to do today? And I, I remember going to a school and I remember driving there and I had a plan to do, I think it was uh, beaded necklaces. And so I yeah. get there in my, my bin that I had all the beaded necklaces in and all the supplies. I get to the school, I open the door in my back, in my back seat and I grab the bin and I look at it and I'm like, uh Oh, and it, and there was no beads in it. Somebody, he had taken all the beads out and then put something else in. I think I had bandanas. And I just was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I didn't have any time. It was like, boom, we had to go. And we went out into this field behind the school. And we just gathered a whole bunch of like long grasses. And we actually tried to make a big, long, big rope and play tug of war with. Nice. And that was it. And I was just like, okay, I guess I didn't need the beads. We made, we made a grass rope. Yeah. But yeah. if I hadn't. And I'd never made a big grass rope like that, but I've seen people like Tom Elpel and other people online do that as an activity that kind of is a group activity. And I thought, if he can do it, I'm going to wing it and just see what I can do. Figure it out. Yeah. It was awesome. It really yeah, well, it was really fun. Nice. Yeah. Part of that experimenting too is, is the fun and the learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think I had, I didn't have like my cell phone or anything. So I could, this was before uh, cell phones. Yeah. So I couldn't even just look at a YouTube video for 10 minutes beforehand. Nowadays, that's that would be easier to do that. But man, yeah, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's funny. You say I, I do download occasional YouTube videos. If sure. I'm going to going to catch pike, and I need to remember how to do that five fillet method. Watch the two minute video and yeah. make sure I do it properly before I I go for it. Yeah, it's it's a nice <laughs> little sneaky trick. Yeah, I, I have never caught pike before. I, I remember getting pick, pickerel once in a creek and oh, yeah. and I thought, oh, this is just going to be like a bass. And uh -huh. man, I was picking yeah. bones for days. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did we, you grow uh, up in Jersey, in North Jersey? Is that uh, yes, I, Yeah, pretty suburban area. Uh -huh. I just always knew I was into nature. I was trying to think about, I usually get asked, how do you get started in nature? And trying to think about it i bet you know i might have been at the school library and somebody pulled out a national geographic just to, to actually show me like a woman's breasts in there but really I, I was into the nature as well in the magazine uh, beautiful photography and national geographic and i'm 40 40 years old and everybody used to that used to be a connection to nature so i grew up thinking about biodiversity and wilderness areas being far away but after school i was able to get employed here at, at this park system in north jersey and start to realize just how much biodiversity we have locally and you know, how it's not just places far away that need to be protected and cared for and that are uh, impressive to explore, but in our own backyards uh, have a plethora of, you know, especially plants. I guess I, I get focused on plants a lot because the kids always expect they want to see like charismatic megafauna, but you get a group of 25 kids, you're going to scare everything in the world away. Uh, but right. the plants don't move. So I ended up doing a lot with with plants. And now I'm always talking about how the plants are. It's the supermarket. It's the, the pharmacy. It's the hardware store out here. And Plants Everything. have stories to tell. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I grew, grew up in North Jersey and been here since. Yeah. It's I had a friend who she and her husband lived in Montclair 
and he, he was really into mountain biking. And I thought, where are we going to go mountain biking? Which we're surrounded by suburb and everything. And there was, there were these cliffs that were about a block away from his house. And he took me on the most hair right raising. Like it was a super scary mountain bike trail along the edge of these oh, yeah. cliffs and in the woods and he hopping over logs. And I was like, all right, this is really happening. It was pretty cool to see. I always think I should pick up mountain biking just for the mushroom foraging. Sure. You just, yeah. Some of the big flushes out here on the giant old oak trees, mm-hmm. you know, chicken of the woods, hen of the woods. Yeah. T- yesterday I got really lucky. I got some nice big balls of uh, lion's mane, oh, nice. softball, softball size, pretty late in the season for at least as, as far as my picking's gone. It sounds like with, it seems like with climate change, somehow that we're getting more warmer weather, longer, lasting longer into the fall. And that seems to really help a lot to just extend that growing period a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if it's really climate change or what, but it just seems like over the last few years, it's been warmer at times in January or February. February is not really that warm here, but November and December are definitely warmer than they were 15 years ago, for sure. Yeah. And some bigger rain events. Yeah. And now do you guys have bears in your area there? Uh, we do. Yeah. There, there's there's something like 3,500 or 4,000 bears in New Jersey, mostly North and Western Jersey. And they did have an archery hunt uh, slash muzzleloader hunt about two, two, three weeks ago. And then it opens up again when we have our six day firearm season in early December. So it's been controversial, but, but the bear population keeps growing and people are having more and more challenges with their garbage or their pets or dangerous encounters in the backyard or in local parks so the butchers accept bear too and they can even donate the bear meat to the food to the food kitchens and that's a nicely organized program where nothing goes to waste right and it's highly prized meat yeah historically they're market hunters putting bears on trains right to new york city where they'd be served up and people were thrilled with it (laughs) yeah Yeah, we have a lot of bears in our area too yeah yeah they're, they they have grown, the population has been growing for sure. And for the first 20 years that we were here, I never saw a bear, even though I knew they were around. And yeah. now we see bears probably, we see a bear probably at least once every two months, just yeah. you know, running across the road, or we see bear scat, a big pile of poop, or yeah. we'll come out and hear something on the hill and see a black shape running down the right. road. And you're like, okay. Right. Yeah, most when I see them in the woods, they they usually go one way and I go the other. Yeah. Um, but I you know, I did um, last season. I harvested a, a deer and I had the gut pile and I thought, let me go get a camera and put it over the gut pile and see what's going to be there. Before I even got the camera back, ten minutes later, there was already three bears on the pile. Wow. So you were like, okay. So, yeah. So yeah. now that's <laughs> they're they're around. Mm-hmm. They're certainly around. Yeah, definitely. And do you guys have? like a lot of like bobcats or coyotes and things like that are that are they coming back to with it or is yeah, it for sure yeah there's definitely coyotes i think they've been pretty consistent over over the years bobcat i think population might be growing mm-hmm. maybe it's just that i'm in more areas now where they might use that habitat right. coyotes you know we i see their tracks especially like the power line right away so you see their scat specific plate placement locations mark in their territory but now with trail cameras too, that really opens it all up. You know exactly what's out there. Yeah, I have a lot of coyotes on my on, on my trail cam, and I've been in my deer stand and I've seen bobcat. Uh, it's very exciting. 
it's almost more fun when I've when I've been out on a an, on it in a deer stand or hunting, and when you see a like a raccoon walking along and they have no idea you're there or a bobcat cruising, it's just it's like more exciting than the hunt really in some ways because it's just you're not even expecting it and all of a sudden it's whoa here, you get a closer yeah. view. Yeah. We, yeah, I have to, when I'm with the kids, I have to remind them, don't they see a deer? They're like, deer, they scream it. And the, the deer just, they runs and nobody, the front two kids saw it and nobody else saw it. But yeah, sometimes I can be the same way if there's a bobcat or one time I saw otters in the Passaic mm-hmm. River and I, you know, I audibly said otters and they dove under. I never saw them again. Oh man. Yeah. Those, are, those are exciting moments. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like when you went to school did you feel like the training that you got within nature and, and nature education, did that help you a lot? Or were you pretty much having to recreate this on your own? Did you have anybody showing you the ropes a little bit? No, I always, I always wish for mentorship. I think I get the micro mentorship. You pick a little bit up here and there. You go to somebody's program. I went to tracker school. I did uh, take a few classes with Eddie Starnator, a practical primitive when he was in North Jersey. But really for me, YouTube opened up a lot. I was able to, I could read about it in some books, but to visually see people share some of these skills, that was extremely helpful. But I studied parks and recreation management and tourism in a school of natural resources. So I think my, maybe my background in natural resources helped me, helped me. Maybe it was the planning just to even go find parks and explore and hike and travel. And then it just grew from there. I wanted to dive in and have a deeper experience. Sometimes when you're hiking, it's like nature is wallpaper. But I like that interaction where you hike up to a remote pond, but then you catch some fish in that pond. Uh, sure. Or maybe, yeah, yeah. Or you pick some mushrooms on the trail or something. It's all those just small experiences. They just add up. Mm-hmm. When I do, when I, one way I like to think of it is like when I do my foraging classes, sometimes you go on a, you go to a foraging class and you fill a whole paper bag of like 20 plants and then you get home and you have no idea what they are. I like the idea of focusing on one thing. Like maybe, maybe the whole program is on nettle and you learn how to pick the nettle and you make nettle tea and then you eat the nettle greens. And that's one program. And that plant really like Sam Thayer's foraging books, a chapter, it's multiple pages on one plant instead of the Peterson guide where it's totally overwhelming. I like zooming in and just, just by curiosity, you, you build up one plant at a time, one experience at a time, and you, you develop all these different skills. Yeah. Yeah, I love Sam Thayer's books because he really, he took the whole field of foraging and just put it on his back and just carried it an extra hundred yards. Just because up until that point for the, for a lot, in a lot of ways, I would, you look at like a Peterson's guide, not to pick on Peterson, but they would just say, oh, cranberry. And it would just be like tea, fruit, jelly. Like they just have these symbols. And then you'd have whatever, one long paragraph and that was it. And no, nothing on how to prepare, nothing on what to do, not none of those steps. And to have Sam go in and say, all right, I'm going to just, I'm going to dive right in. We're going to do acorns. Yeah. You're going to have 25 pages all about acorns. Yeah. You will definitely know how to do this if you read it and you read it carefully. And he just changed it. Like I, I'll, so many people were like making, uh, what is it? Uh, autumn olives. They would take autumn olives and make fruit leather with it. Because he showed how to do that, and oh, right. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Another guy. You did you mention uh, Thomas Apple before? Yeah, Tom Apple. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. He he came up years ago. He had this DVD series called "The Art of Nothing." Yes, 
you would go out there with a family member at different places and just with nothing. And he just, he'd find a nail in a fire pit and make it into a knife and catch a, a trout by hand on the stream bank and pick some mushrooms and, and build a shelter. And yeah, it was neat to be able to, to visually see people enjoy these skills, but also as part of a greater experience. Yeah. I think yeah, uh, that's, that's when, really when, cool. when I, when I, do my I, my Instagram or website? It's nature into action, but it's like really based on nature interaction, and it's based on this like a, a awareness to action model of environmental education. In that you learn about something, but environmental education is action. It's actually doing something. I, we we talk here. I guess the, the podcast is a bit more about forest school, but just generally taking care of the environment. If it's a program on pollinators, we make pollinator seed balls and we put out native wild. Oh flower seeds out into the habitat. So there's always some hands-on actual engaging thing that we do in the programs. And so they're helpful for the environment. They're helpful as learning experience and they make it to the dinner table. So that's the other goal. I want the kids to be so excited. They get home, they're talking about it at the dinner table. I read through my program plan and it says, is this going to make it to the dinner table? If it does, I know it's, I call them my home runs via programs tried and true that I know are going to go well. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that question, that, that metric to hold that, hold your lesson up to that standard and say, yeah, is this going to really be something that they're going to really want to share yeah. about? And, yeah. And, and, and with the younger ages, you know, just to go back from the beginning, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, formative experiences when these kids get out there, they might've never been on a surface that wasn't paved and kids play, have recess on in parking lots. So you sometimes the truth is, is as we were talking about dropping your big goals and plans, but just getting the kids outside, mm -hmm. you know, playing in the forest, walking down a trail, that alone is is often enough. Yeah, I don't think we have to work as hard as we might think we do. Yeah. Tom Brown, when I would take his classes, he would just go over this skill and another skill. Like he just you get overwhelmed with every class having three notebooks full of all these activities and so forth. But but I found over the years that the less skills I taught in my programs, the better, sometimes the better they were because it gave them time to integrate. And like you said, learn one plant or learn one yeah. skill and then practice yeah. it four or five times a week. And then you really leave with knowing something that you've practiced. Yeah. So, yeah. I do. Yeah, absolutely. I do. In, in some of my wilderness skills classes, I do set up a rubric uh, where it's just, you check it off yourself. Did you actually complete the skill? So you can watch Bojo Friction Fire. It doesn't mean you know how to do it. Check it off if you actually accomplished it. It's not a, not, there's no pressure. They can work on the skills all week. But it's a bit of, to me, it's like a conf, it's just a confidence boost, like scaffolding your skills. You develop your skills from like fire skills. There's one, one column, it's just fire skills, like light a match, then a magnifying glass fire, then a ferro rod, then flint and steel, then bow drill. You, you sure. build up the, you build up the skills, but you, you go at their pace. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love what I love about fire too, is that Sometimes children, they've never really gathered firewood. They don't even know. They think okay. of firewood as being like all sawn up and split up. And so they go, oh, I need an ax and I need a saw and I need stuff. And just even doing that is a revelation yeah. for them. And it might take them a couple of set, small sessions to really get good at doing that and doing it safely. But yeah. if you don't teach that part, then you could be some, I've seen a lot of instructors and they rush right away to Oh, we're going to do hand drill or 
<laughs> we're going to do fire mm -hmm. uh, piston or something. And that's cool to don't to demonstrate stuff. But when we're mm -hmm. actually teaching, it's just good to remember that they might mm -hmm. not know really how to gather dry wood or find the little tiny branches or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I see that too. Or they get one stick and they're like, is this good? <laughs> I know, right? They think they've done enough. I, I actually this earlier in the week I taught Lenape Native American classes and we talked about fire and community work and how everybody worked together. Your job every day as a kid, you'd be collecting firewood. You know, so, somebody else picks mushrooms, somebody gets singing nettles, somebody catches a fish, somebody makes a clay pot, somebody builds the fire. But I was letting them know if they didn't bring home bring their bundle of firewood every day back to camp, they they'd be threatened by their parents to be kicked out of the village. Right. And that was a very scary thought because today in modern culture, we have like all these books and movies and stories about the solo survivor. But uh, to them, that would have been very scary to think that they had to live on their own. So right. they, they had to assist with these skills like proper firewood collection just to be just to be part of the community. Right. And contribute something. And yeah. nobody can cook or do anything if we don't have firewood. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I like to I, with, go ahead with the kids some tricks like you touch the wood to your cheek and you can feel the moisture in it or have them snap it and listen for the snap so it doesn't bend they're not bringing over green wood yeah but also you got to let them fail too you got to let them I, I did the same thing as a kid I, part part of it is just play yeah so you got to leave some room for that it's easy to overthink sometimes if we make it so intellectually uh based it's good to give people a like an image of what they're looking for but at the same time, we don't want them to be so much in their head that they that they overthink it and then they start getting stressed out because they're not sure what choices that they have yeah. to make. But, but that's part of it. I, I know I'm an overthinker for sure. So I, I get yeah. it. Where you work, are you just like a consultant or a like a contractor that works within a park system or do you yeah. actually work with them? It's a government county park system. Okay. Yeah. Yes. For those looking for employment in, in environmental education. I, we consider it in, we have an alliance for environmental educators in New Jersey, and we break it up into non-formal versus formal. Formal are your schoolroom educators. I consider myself a non-formal educator because I work at a nature center for a park system, but I am a, a government employee. For those looking for full-time employment, teaching environmental education, that is, an, I think, an ideal career path for this field. Because when you're a government employee, there's a level of confidence you get your you, you get can get in a union you can you have job security you get your health insurance you get increments right. you might start at a very low salary but over the years you get your increments till you're soon you get pretty comfortable but you have to be willing to do a wide variety of skills you, you can't say oh i'm just going to do this i'm just going to do that but and i would encourage looking at government nature centers and in new jersey I, on my website nature into action i made a google map it's got over it's got about 115 120 nature center sites. So you can look at the map and you can see where these nature centers are in proximity to you. It's designed I, you know, originally for teachers to find where nature centers are so they could schedule a field trip. But you know, for somebody looking for employment, they should be mapping out where these local resources are so they can go and, and apply or volunteer or intern and get, gain right. some experience and get into the community because it is a small community. People know each other. You show that you have the skills. People are going to share your name and You'll, you will find employment. Right. Uh, there's also there's quite a few nonprofit sites as well, uh, where some sometimes the salary can be a bit less or you don't have the same uh, job security. Sometimes if you're thinking about getting into the environmental education field, 
looking for government employment is, I think, a, a smart way to go. And you know, there's municipal parks, there's county parks, there's state parks, there's national parks. You apply to all different levels, and sooner or later, you, you bring your skill set and your interests, and you develop programming, and people respond, and you get to do more and more of what you like. Yeah, that's true. I actually started with the uh, California Conservation Corps and building trails and uh, clearing streams for salmon in Northern California, yeah. working with biologists and revegetating sand dunes and things like that. Nice. And, and they encouraged us to apply to different forest service and national parks. And I remember the I I was looking for a summer job and I had applied to Glacier National Park and Grand Canyon yeah. and all these places. And I hadn't heard back from any of them. And so finally, my local summer camp, camp, camp counselor, she came over and was like, oh, you got to work for us at our summer camp. And I was like, I'll work for you. And the very first day of camp, my mom came, drove by and dropped off my mail. And inside it, this is like in 1985, I think. And inside it was, there was a letter that was accepting, I was accepted at a position in Glacier National Park, wow, working, yeah. working as an assistant to like the guy who is studying grizzly bears. Okay. And it, I would have been like at the ground, yeah. I might've gotten eaten alive. So who knows? But I was <laughs> sitting there and there was like yeah. all these kids there. And I was just like, yeah. what am I going to do? Am I going to bail and just get out to Montana or am yeah. I going to stay here? And so I ended up passing on it. But I, I oftentimes wonder uh, where my life would be if I yeah. had um, stayed in that on that track because it yeah. was something that's really remarkable and, and amazing and it, absolutely it's hard to know and some sure. of those biologist jobs are so difficult there's so few yeah absolutely it was definitely like minimum it was like 335 an hour and yeah. i don't know yeah. just you had you got a uniform and that was it it was just something what, that what an experience it would have been yeah, you yeah. never know. You never know what the deal would be. But but yeah, yeah that was one of those crossroad yeah. moments where I was sitting I had, on the yeah. <laughs> I had one similar to that where I almost worked as like a horseback uh, Yellowstone oh, ranger. Wow, yeah. not, not necessarily. It wasn't with the park service, but it would have been working in Yellowstone. Uh, but I believe I, I ended up working for Vermont Youth Conservation Corps that summer. And yeah, I worked as a park ranger at Silver oh, Lake State cool. Park in Vermont. And uh, that was the right choice because it it was a better trajectory, and I got sure. to do programming on the weekends when the when every when the campground was full, and uh, that nice. that led led to my next employment. Yeah, you, you, never know. you never know what where you never know where you go. Like, I remember working. I would work at Tom. I would go to Tom Brown, and I would teach stuff and learn, and then I would come home, and then I worked in, with construction. That was like my big thing for a bunch of years, and so I remember people saying to me, oh, you're in construction. You're not really into the wilderness anymore because you're just working at a job or whatever. But over the years, the various jobs that I've had have all helped me. Like I would, my Hawk Circle camp wouldn't exist if I didn't have a lot of comfort building and yeah. being able to yeah. build and design things. Yeah. And timber framing, know. that's that yeah, timber yeah. framing. That's the one I'm hoping to sign up for. Sure. Absolutely. Anytime. But that's, I worked in a restaurant for a while and I learned how to be very efficient. So if I ever need to, I can step into the kitchen and bang out whatever we need really yeah. pretty effort, effortlessly. Cause I really know how to work in that environment. And yeah. at the time I thought, Oh, this is terrible. Why I, I want to be in the woods, but yeah. man, it, it was really helpful to have had that experience down the road. I, it, it helped me to be able to grow. You never know. 
yeah, all those experiences add up. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So how did you get into like fishing and the, did you grow up fishing in and around North Jersey? Did you just no, stumble on I, that? Did somebody take you out and show no, you some not, lakes? Yeah, or? I, I went to, a, I did go to a, a camp in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. I went to a camp Greylock and got to do a oh, bit of, they had, they had a fishing dock that wasn't a fishing instructor, but I did get to you know catch some bluegills and that just, that, that got me excited, but I played, I was like a suburban kid, just played soccer. Uh-huh. I played sports. I have three brothers. They played two. I'm a triplet, actually. My two brothers played soccer, so I I played soccer. It wasn't. I would have probably preferred to be in scouts and do more nature based play, but um, I, I enjoyed the soccer and I did that with them. And so it was more. I had to come back to it all. Right. I, I think was getting a driver's license and becoming an adult and getting my own time. I had the opportunity to go do exactly what I wanted to do. So I just yeah, I just scout just built up the skills one experience at a time yeah and even the hunting I, I took my hunter safety at age 21 i was in vermont i was in a room of uh you know 10 year olds with their parents standing behind them right. uh, exactly. uh, and then and then i don't think i really really hunted and hunted fully until i was age 30 and then the last 10 years or so i've just really gotten into it and mm-hmm. enjoy venison eat it eating venison jerky every day sure uh, making yeah making all sorts of meals and just now part of the you know the lifestyle and the culture that i live yeah yeah that's great yeah there's plenty there's so many deer too especially yeah. in a lot of those suburban areas that's for sure yeah what's if if somebody wanted to get a hold of you is it's uh is it nature into action.com is that the best place to go yeah that would work or instagram is great sure okay i'm on facebook as well nature into action i enjoy the social media interacting you get Uh to meet people like you people out there in the community and sometimes it feels like we're like our own island our own we have our interests but you look around and the people you grow up with have different interests they'd rather go golfing you'd rather be in in the forest alone yeah (laughs) so it's fun communicating and meeting up with people who enjoy these these skills yeah it really is And, and you know what's what makes me happy is knowing that there's someone like you working in those types of programs where, you know, I know some people don't, they go, "Ah, I don't want to work for the state or the government or whatever. But one of the things I really love about working in that area and that capacity is that your programs, you're, they're getting to work with somebody who's just an amazing naturalist and, and environmental educator in a way that isn't, you know, it's very equitable, meaning, anyone can come. It's yeah. it's not like for me, like for a lot of my summer camps, I had a pretty good scholarship plan. Most of the kids coming to my camps were kids that were coming out of Maryland or Boston who could afford to pay for a private camp. And, and it's really nice when they can, when local kids can come and get the benefit of nature and education and have these really wonderful experiences without necessarily having to foot the bill yeah. with, with, that they can't afford. Yeah, it is reasonable. And we still work and get grant funding as well to mm-hmm. try to make it even easier. And, yeah. Um, like you said, you try to give the kids a first experience that hopefully leads to a second and a third. Yep. A lifetime yep. of fun and play in the parks and in nature. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. It's really good to hear. This has been really fun. I'll tell you, I really appreciate your time for doing this. And I'm hoping that hoping to be able to go on one of their your trips fishing sometime and I'll trade you for some timber framing clashes or whatever. We'd have a, a uh, you're, blast. You're, you're invited. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.